Hello and welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning, Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Well, I think on today's show, we're going to do a bit of a one-two punch of some experts from the cannabis industry that you and I spoke to, Haley. That's uh, Steve Easton. He's an economics professor at Simon Fraser University. He's going to be our first guest on the show. We're talking all about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's proposed excise tax on legalized cannabis. And then afterwards, we're going to speak to Ray Gracewood. He's the chief commercial officer at Organogram, talking about retail opportunities that exist for this industry once legalized recreational marijuana takes off. Welcome back to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We are the daily business news program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. And you have a choice for your money, but what path is wisest? You can invest through a bank or should you go and invest through a broker? On October 26th, Business in Vancouver brings together leaders on each side of the discussion to argue their cases on where your money belongs as an investment. For more information, head on over to BIV.com slash events. Haley, this week, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he introduced plans for an excise tax on the legalized recreational cannabis industry. Uh, still a lot of question marks. You and I, were, we were discussing this earlier on, but I, I think we can really dive deep into what's going on here. Yeah, and I think it caught some premiers a little bit by surprise. Uh, certainly, uh, BC Premier John Horgan. Uh, why don't we dive into it with Steve Easton? He's an economics professor over at Simon Fraser University. Steve, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. My pleasure. So uh, tell us a little bit about this sharing revenue sharing proposed by Justin Trudeau. Uh, what do you make? What was your first reaction to this? Well, my first reaction was that 10% is probably not too bad an excise tax if it were the only tax. The uh, splitting between the provinces and the federal government, I assume that this is the first gun in the negotiation and that they'll uh, squabble about it uh, probably till the ends of time, as they normally do, but something will turn up uh, as as a part-time solution. The kicker in this, of course, is that you're trading off two things. On the one hand, you have a higher tax structure, which impacts the industry. The second thing is, if the provinces want, they can raise taxes on their own. So there's a sense in which this first round is just that. It's just the beginning. Well, that's the initial thing that I was unclear about. Now, are provinces going to have the options to deal with their own PST? Uh, for BC, that makes sense. But what about provinces that have the HST system there? I, I'm just wondering if we have any clarity about how this may work from province to province. No, I think it's it's actually uh, the, the same way it works with alcohol and tobacco in the sense that uh, the provinces go their own way in terms of consumption taxes. The only thing that limits them in this case is the extent of the black market. After all, people have been buying illegal cannabis for a long, long time. And now you have legalized cannabis. One of the things I think the federal and the province, provincial governments are going to want to do is draw the illegal consumption into the legal marketplace so that they can, of course, tax it and whatever. But to do that, you can't have a tax structure that's too darn high. Right. And we've talked about that on the show, too. And it's it's a fine line, too, especially when we're looking at provinces maybe wanting to cover the costs of retail distribution, bringing in and, and overhauling and transferring dispensaries into the legal market. Do you think that Canada and its provinces are going to be able to find that balance in that they're going to be able to cover their costs through tax and also maybe make some profit, but also still draw in the illegal market into the legal one. 
I think it can be done. Uh, the question is just how foolish the provinces are in terms of the short run. In a sense, what I honestly see is a couple of years of what I'd call organized chaos, in the sense that the provinces are going to be setting different rates uh, of their own taxation, and that's going to draw more or less marijuana into the legal marketplace, and then the quality of the product will have to change too. The legal marketplace will probably display a better quality of product, quality of product that is more known, that will not be cut with various additives. That's certainly going to be an ongoing process as people learn the, learn the industry. On the production side, you're going to have gradually industrial production taking over from local individuals. In the same way we think of alcohol, uh, you know, you can make alcohol in your bathtub, but by and large people don't. There's of course a, a, a small industry, but the real ability of people to make alcohol and the same way to grow marijuana has to be driven out of the marketplace, at least for this process to succeed. Uh, Steve, during that process of organized chaos, do you think there's going to be a lot of difficulty then stamping out this black market, which Justin Trudeau has been very adamant that this, they don't want this black market to proliferate. But like you said, these first few years, I, I, I wonder how they're going to get around that issue. Well, I think the biggest problem with the black market is not the local consumption. I think it's uh, production for the U.S. market. I think that's really where the production side of things will be headed. Sure, there'll be some uh, sort of sideswipe of the local consumption markets, but I see the uh, movement into the United States, the continued provision of marijuana to the United States as the biggest problem, both from a law enforcement point of view and also from uh, prickly neighbors that may find that uh, the border thickens, and that would be disastrous. Interesting. So in that case, you're looking at what are the, the taxes and costs from an input perspective when it comes to production here in Canada, looking to the American market for consumption? I see that as most likely case. We'll have a domestic market to be sure, but I think we'll still always have the illegal market. After all, it's been going for the last 30 years. Why would it change short of there being better incentives in the local market? And I don't see that. I think that there will always be, since it's illegal in the United States, the price will always be a bit higher. And so my hope is that we can draw enough of the into the legal market here in Canada, and then we have to address the same problem we did with prohibition. After all, the United States had prohibition of alcohol from 1920 to 1933. Canada did not, and there was a tremendous rum running uh, from Canada to the United States. Many fortunes were made. I expect that that won't change all that much here, except that we have more sophisticated tools, uh, and of course we have more sophisticated criminals. Our guest today is Steve Easton. He's a professor of economics at Simon Fraser University. We're talking about Justin Trudeau's new plans unveiled this week with regards to an excise tax on the legalized recreational cannabis industry. I also wonder, is it difficult to look at jurisdictions in the United States that have legalized recreational cannabis, like, say, Washington State, our, our neighbor directly south of us, just because it's not a comparable model when we have different uh, uh, interests from the federal government in the United States versus what we're seeing in Ottawa right now? Well, I think that if you look at the total taxation package, it looks very much like the tax package in uh, Colorado and Washington. After all, we have, let's say, the GST, PST, or their equivalents are roughly around 15%. You have this 10% excise tax, that gives you 25%. As sure as God made little green apples, they're going to be licensing fees 
and whatnot in each of the provinces for the various organs that are both producing and selling. And let's say that adds to another three, four, five percent. That gets us to around 30 percent. And lo and behold, that's the same number, rough number of taxation rates, both in uh, Washington and in Oregon. So in that sense, I think I don't mean Oregon. I mean uh, uh, Colorado. So in that sense. I think the tax structure as it stands at the moment is probably consistent with what we see. All of this, however, will change over time as we gather some experience. Yeah, and if we look at how individual provinces choose to apply different tax measures, how they choose to figure out their own distribution and retail mechanisms, is it important that they somehow get on the same page when it comes to taxation? Yeah, and I'm thinking of perhaps pot tourism or trends like that, where you could go to one jurisdiction, it would be cheaper, and that could impact business and production as well as consumption. I think the uh, possibility of the provinces having a consistent framework is like herding cats. <laughs> Fair <laughs> I enough. Could, I think that that's a vain, a vain hope. I think they'll have their own plans, and each one will have a perfectly good reason for doing it their way and can't understand why the other provinces are so foolish. But, you know, think about it with tobacco taxation right now. In a province like Quebec, the tax rate's about 180%. BC, it's 256%. In other provinces, up to 300%. So there will be variation. How that all plays out in the sort of the, in the more general equilibrium, uh, that, that will just take time. And that's why I say the first couple of years are going to be pretty chaotic. And I just hope that the uh, federal and provincial governments are able to use the information that's generated during these first few years of, of confusion in order to come up with regulations where you see that they are sensible regulations to accomplish what you want, as opposed to silly regulations that just drive people away from the marketplace. Steve, in an ideal world, what do you think would be kind of some best policies, best practices for different levels of government to be implementing at this point? I think the more modest the rate of taxation, the better at this point. I think until you learn how the market itself operates in the context of each of the provinces and the U.S., right, that U.S. market, then I think you have to just hold your fire. I personally would go for a lower tax rate in order to try and get people into the marketplace. You want to convince people that just like with alcohol, it doesn't pay to make your own bathtub gin. It doesn't pay to make your own marijuana, but rather you go buy it down at the store and it's already prepackaged. It's got uh, the ingredients on the label. You know you're not getting anything stupid. And that's the way to go, it seems to me. Take a longer view rather than just the immediate view of, can I make money off this thing as quickly as possible? But you know what, Steve, I, I'll, I'll interject here because Haley knows this about me. I have made my own craft beer at home. Yes. and It stinks up my apartment. It's a big <laughs> hassle, but there's something, I, I guess, somewhat satisfying about doing that. Yes, I'm sure you do. And there are lots of people who do that. But if you compare the number of liters that are produced your way and the number of liters that are produced uh, in cans of beer from all over the world that are sold in Canada, I think the numbers speak for themselves. Fair enough, yes. <laughs> yeah, Tyler's not uh, changing the market or influencing no. the market with his yeah. homemade beer. The market doesn't shudder with his steps. No, not yet. <laughs> Well, Steve, I want to appreciate, I do appreciate you taking time to chat with us. Thank you for joining us on the Business in Vancouver show. 
My pleasure. It's exciting times. Very much so. We'll have to talk to you very soon. That's Steve Easton, professor of economics at Simon Fraser University. And you're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Tyler Orton. And I'm Haley Wooden. We'll continue this discussion about recreational marijuana after the break with Organigram's Ray Gracewood. He's discussing the new Canadian Cannabis Co-op, which is developing solutions for the retail side of the industry. Stay with us. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, and if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604 614-3600. That's 604-714-3600. Or you can check them out online at manningelliot.ca. Welcome back to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We are the daily business news program from our weekly Business in Vancouver newspaper and from our site at biv.com. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. A dozen of Canada's licensed producers of medical marijuana, they're launching the Canadian Cannabis Co-op. The goal here is to develop turnkey retail solutions for this industry. With us to discuss how this industry is changing and adapting so swiftly is Ray Gracewood. He's the chief commercial officer at Organigram. And Ray, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Nice to talk to you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what the goal is of this co-op and how you're uh, fit into this, how Organigram is fitting into the co-op here as well. Yeah. So um, the the project essentially started several months ago. And and I think it's fair to say that over the past year or so, uh, as a licensed producer and many of the other licensed producers in Canada, uh, we've had a lot of different discussions with different provinces across the country, and I think the the consensus is that there's different states of readiness from coast to coast. Uh, and one of the opportunities that we saw kind of coming out of those uh, meetings was that there was an opportunity for us to get together and essentially develop a retail solution for provinces or markets that are, are without a clear solution. So um, that that's sort of where the process started. And, and for us, obviously, the most critical piece is that um, we, we do have access to supply. And that being one of the foremost concerns across the country is sort of securing supply. Uh, obviously, that sort of fits into the plan as well. What would you say is BC's state of readiness, Ray? Well, through our discussions, we're actually... Um, we don't have an awful lot of clarity in terms of the timing on uh, with British Columbia. I think British Columbia is in a unique position in that um, in many ways, in terms of education and familiarity with product, product um, that exists in a far more advanced state than most of the other provinces across the country. Um, so we're, we're not entirely sure how British Columbia is going to um, uh, to come forth with, with their plan, but obviously like many other provinces in Canada, um, we're, we're anxiously awaiting to sort of see how they see themselves proceeding. Well, we are getting uh, uh, some big hints from the government of Alberta. They unveiled their framework. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you think of this Alberta framework and how the co-op can maybe apply your solutions to what we've uh, been seeing here from this government. 
Well, we're very supportive of Alberta's plan to sort of con- continue with their uh, consultation process, and obviously we're we're going to uh, play a role in that. Um, historically, what we found uh, in in many markets is that there seems to be a trend that goes towards provinces aligning themselves in a similar way to how they handle beverage alcohol, and in the case of Alberta. Um, their market is is largely privatized and and that's why we chose um you know in alignment with the alberta announcement was that we think that alberta is a good example of a market that could really benefit from a model such as uh like our retail co-op model interesting and i know we've talked about this on the show before likening the recreational marijuana market either to alcohol or to how tobacco has been handled and governed and regulated do you see it overall being closer more to a product like alcohol as other provinces try and figure out the system? Yeah, no, I absolutely think that there's a lot of parallels between um, cannabis and, and beverage alcohol in terms of, uh, you know, from a regulatory perspective. Um, not so much in terms of how it would align with tobacco. I think um, th- that's actually been something that's been communicated on some levels and, and, and we fiercely oppose. And then especially from Organigram's perspective, um, we, we see that there's uh, more dissimilarity between the products than, um, than similarity. Uh, when it comes to beverage alcohol, I think working with partners in specific markets, whether it comes to you know, category management or retailing or logistics, supply chain, there's an awful lot of sort of back office understanding of how the business needs to work in terms of being a consumer packaged goods retailer um, that we can really benefit from. And I think in a lot of markets where there is a built-in solution for different types of products that would be similar in ways to cannabis, um, it just really helps each of those provinces quickly adapt and be able to put a, have a chance to put a program in place uh, that will have them ready by July 1st, 2018, because as we all know, we're sort of within nine months right now. And, and, and every day that goes by is, is another kind of portion of lost opportunity. So um, I think any province that has an opportunity to leverage what they already know, uh, it's in their best interest. Yeah, it seems as if that July 2018 date is speeding up and a lot of provinces are just realizing that. Our last guest, uh, Steve Easton, economics professor over at Simon Fraser University, he says that there's a big possibility that the first few years of this legalized recreational cannabis industry, it could be, quote unquote, uh, organized chaos to a certain degree if you, as you look at different regulations between different provinces do you think that the Canadian Cannabis Co-op could kind of bring some sort of uniformity here if different provinces are able to introduce these turnkey solutions? Well, I think it absolutely could be. Like I mentioned, we feel as though this is a great solution for markets without a solution. And I think for that reason, it would help provinces in their readiness plan. And you know, this is a massive undertaking, regardless of what province uh, you're, you're talking about, or even from the federal perspective, it's a massive undertaking. And, and to think that it's going to be completely without issue and seamless and, and problem free, uh, I think would be misguided. So, you know, from our perspective, we, we need to brace ourselves to say the first few years is it going to be about learning. And I think with any new business opportunity or industry opening up, there will be learnings along the way. And, and you know, as we go into this, I, I think the worst thing we could do is think that it's going to be perfect from day one, because I'm not sure, you know, how close to reality that would actually be. 
We're speaking to Ray Gracewood. He's the Chief Commercial Officer at Organigram. We're talking about the Canadian Cannabis Co-op as well as the legalized recreational marijuana market here in Canada. Now, of course, as you know, Ray, we've had a legalized medical marijuana market in the country for some time. Is that a model that the legalized recreational market and governments could look to? Different products, of course, and different regulatory standards, but from a distribution and retail perspective, is there lessons learned there that could be applied to this new emerging market? Well, I think that's a great question because we sort of immediately go to um, direct mail and what yeah. we've been able to accomplish through the, the medicinal market through direct mail. So so that model has been very successful over the past several years, um, has given access to rural communities and, and, and essentially has given the same level of access to you know, the northern tip of Nova Scotia or downtown Toronto or downtown Vancouver. So uh, we, we found that the, um, the that as a distribution mechanism can be very impactful. And we've actually also, uh, from an organogram perspective, we've done some research with a partnership of ours in Colorado uh, to go to their consumer base and ask them questions about what their preferred method of, of kind of a retail experience would be. And the biggest finding that we found was that for first-time or cannabis-naive consumers, they really appreciated going to, um, you know, a retail location or a dispensary in their case, um, and and seeing the product, speaking with somebody, understanding the product. Once you get over that barrier of first purchase, or you become a little bit more familiar with the product, overwhelmingly the preference was to order online and have it delivered to their house if that was within the legal framework, which right now is not within Colorado, but could possibly be within Canada. Um, so I think that consumer preference, coupled with the fact that we've been doing it for years and it's been very successful, uh, needs to be an indicator that direct mail should be part of a model, whether it's at the federal or the provincial level. Well, this co-op is part of uh, a dozen licensed medical growers at this point. Do you think once the industry is, is given the green light in, in July, that the licensed growers, d despite being on the medical side of things, they're going to have a distinct advantage when it comes to just getting out there. They know what's expected from a regulatory standpoint. They've got the operations going. Is this going to be of great benefit to you guys? Yeah, I, I like to think so. I mean, um, as an industry, we've spent the last three years specifically, you know, understanding not just um, how our business works from a cultivation perspective, but also in terms of um, social responsibility and communication. And, and, and there's an awful lot of learning there. So I think consistent with the overall mandate of having a quality tested, regulated product um, to provide, you know, a positive and a, and a, a healthy product for Canadians, um, licensed producers, I think, has been overwhelmingly the the, the choice for, for regulated supply. Um, and so obviously that puts us in a good position, but I also think that it's a challenge in that the number of licensed producers needs to ramp up significantly and Health Canada, I think, has really started on that process. But in order for us to fulfill the market for a full adult recreational market in 2018 and beyond, the number of producers and the, and the amount of capacity needs to significantly increase um, in order to sort of... Um, uh, supply that market. Do you have thoughts, Ray, on how governments should approach potentially integrating illegal dispensaries, and we know they exist, especially in a city like Vancouver, into the legalized system? Yeah, that's a great question, you know, and I think, you know, obviously very uh, relevant to, um, to to Vancouver and, and British Columbia in general. Um, I, I think that um, there's nothing but respect for sort of the 
education and the experience that a lot of the people that, that are involved in those businesses have. Um, and I'd like to think that there's a solution that, that could be in place to, to leverage that and to be able to, um, you know, take what already exists within British Columbia and be able to kind of continue to push that forward. I think regulated supply is really the, the key message that's come from the federal government. And as long as the solution was in place to be in line with that and to be able to include dispensaries, um, I'd like to think that there is potentially a solution there. One of the key things the government's also said is they want to stamp out the black market. You brought up the supply issue, though. Are, are we looking at a big supply crunch when July 2018 rolls by? Yeah, I think that that's going to be the reality. You know, when we when we look at the um, current production capabilities of licensed producers across Canada, um, that's one of the things that that has been flagged since day one. And 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 there is a you know I'm sure there's a plan in place to be able to ramp up production overall. And like I mentioned, if um, you know I think if anyone believes that the black market is going to be eliminated on July 1st, 2018. Um, you know, they should probably give the issue a little bit more thought. I think that it's a process that happens over years. And, and part of that is making sure that the legal market is well supplied, that there's product available, that the product selection is great, the quality is great, the pricing is fair and consistent. Um, and I think in order to get to an environment where all, where all of those things happen, it's just going to take a little bit of time. So I think we, we all sort of have to manage expectations. Well, Ray, I, I really do want to thank you for lending your insights to the program today. No, my pleasure. It was great to talk. And that was Ray Gracewood. He's Chief Commercial Officer at Organogram. And you've been listening to the Business in Vancouver podcast. Haley, if anybody wanted to find out more information on maybe some of the stories you've been working on or else, uh, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, they can find both of our work as well as the work of our colleagues over at BIV.com. Podcasts, of course, also available on iTunes. And if anyone wants to say hi on social media, they can search at Haley Wooden, H-A-Y-L-E-Y. W-O-O-D-I-N. What about you? Yeah, you can find me at uh, Reportin. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. And that's it for this week. This podcast was brought to you by Manning, Elliott Accountants, and Business Advisors. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time.